Hello and welcome to the Scottish Politics Podcast. My name's David Clegg. I'm the political editor of The Daily Record and your host. You join me today on another week that has been dominated by Brexit. But the good news is it's only a few weeks till Christmas. I'm joined today by two great guests to go over the week's events. I have from the Conservative Party, Liam Kerr, who's the MSP for North East Scotland, and Monica Lennon from the Labour Party, and she represents Central Scotland. We'll of course be talking about Brexit, in fact we'll probably start with that, but we'll also be discussing today's First Minister's questions and also the alcohol and drug strategy which was published by the Scottish Government yesterday after somewhat of a delay. First of all though, I want to have a quick chat with Liam Mm -hmm. uh, because it was, as I mentioned in last week's podcast, it was the uh, Scottish Politician of the Year Awards last week and as predicted by both my guests last week, Gene Freeman was the overall winner of Scottish Politician of the Year. But Liam, you were nominated for an award and I have to say it was quite an eye-catching video trail for your nomination. Uh, For readers who are maybe not aware of this, uh, if you're nominated for an award to Scottish Politician of the Year, there's a little video package that plays where one of the journalists who covers the Parliament introduces the nominees. And you're, it was news to me, I have to say, you were, you were introduced as a former chain-smoking golf. First, <laughs> first of all, is that true? Second of all, how did Charles Fletcher, the journalist, know about this? And third, what were your thoughts as you were watching from the audience? Uh, right, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, a very difficult question. Is it true? Yes. Uh, I, I fully confess I was uh, a former chain-smoking goth in a former life uh, with hair and black clothes to match and uh, let's just leave that piece of the description there. Um, how did Charles Fletcher know? I genuinely haven't the faintest idea. Um, <laughs> that was a, a bigger surprise to me as to everyone in the room and that rather answers the, um, the final question. How, how did I take it? How did I respond to it? Uh, because like most of the people in the room, uh, I rather cracked up in a sense of disbelief and peals of laughter, but mine, unlike everyone else in the room, was slightly shamefaced and embarrassed by the whole thing, by the whole revelation. So I can genuinely There's nothing say, to be embarrassed about. Well, I've no idea what the rest of that feed said, because uh, I genuinely <laughs> couldn't hear it for people laughing at me. Uh, but yes, it's all true. Were you there as well, Monica, last week? I was, yeah. I think we could spend a whole half hour discussing this, really. I want to hear more. Uh, we best move on, though. No, uh, it's just... Commiserations. Com- oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Kate, Kate Forbes won, it, won that category, of course. Which and, was one uh, to watch, I believe. Which was one to watch, and she's a worthy winner. I mean, uh, I, mean I was going oh, to say passing this. passing it on from last year, of course. Of course. Oh, you won last year? I did, yes. Oh, right. I should say that both Monica and Liam are from the class of 2016. They both joined the Parliament for the first Correct. time in 2016. Have you guys sat on committee together before? We have. We've been we've been separated, but we both sat on the public audit committee. Uh, Liam, you're still the deputy convener. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, but that was a good committee to for newbies like us to get stuck in and and really sort of follow in the public pound. And of course, you get fantastic reports coming straight from the the auditor general. So very meaty issues. I have to say, when you say we've been separated, <laughs> the, the implication that we, we get on very well. And uh, there's nothing sinister in that. This is what happens in Parliament. I think committees do develop good working relationships and then for different reasons parties make changes. So we had a few changes on that committee. Yeah. Um, yeah. For my money, it's the best co- committee in the Parliament, actually. I think it does the most interesting work, just because you are a bit freer and, mm-hmm. into what you look at. Uh, we, we must move on to more um, sure. boring matters, though, I'm afraid. Uh, Brexit has 
understandably dominated again. The Prime Minister was in Scotland yesterday. Uh, I was one of the newspapers who was allowed to attend. Uh, and I would maybe talk well, you're about... you not tempted to walk out in solidarity with the National. Well, I, I, I didn't actually... I didn't actually well, the, for people who aren't aware, the National, which is uh, an independent supporting newspaper, uh, was apparently not allowed into the press conference. What I would say... Uh, is that they've done a very good front page this morning complaining about that and I think they probably got more out of that press conference than anyone who was actually at it. Uh, uh, But we'll get on to a bit more about Theresa May. Let's just talk about where we think we are with the Brexit situation. I'll start with you, Liam. Fishing was again an issue that was raised at First Minister's Questions by uh, Jackson Carlow, the interim party leader for the Scottish Conservatives. You obviously represent a community that's very interested in the fishing situation. Are you happy with what the deal delivers? If you were an MP rather than an MSP, would you be voting for it? Uh, and, and what's your general thoughts on where we are for at the minute? Well, I think the Jackson was absolutely right to raise this uh, at FMQs today. This, this is a hugely important issue uh, for the future of the country. Um, and I think the most important thing, uh, leaving aside the SNP's pretty difficult self-imposed position on this, uh, at least from where we're sitting, um, the 13 Scottish MPs sought strong reassurances uh, on what will happen to fishing uh, post-Brexit. They received those reassurances from the Prime Minister, uh, who wrote to them uh, saying, look, Uh, the UK will not be in the CFP uh, after December 2020. And I think the biggest uh, endorsement of that, and the thing that, uh, of course, Jackson was flagging up today, was that the the Sea Fishermen's Federation absolutely endorse that position and say, look, this is right. This this letter, this assurance is exactly what we need to see. Uh, We're coming out of the CFP. That is a good thing. Uh, So let's get on with it. Monica, you obviously don't represent the fishing community, I think it's fair to say, and I think one of the things that I find quite interesting about it is fishing has dominated this debate, or if not dominated the debate in Scotland, it's driven a lot of the energy of it, Uh, and with all the goodwill in the world and with respect to the fishing communities uh, in Scotland, it's not that massive a part of the actual economy. And there is, I've heard some grumblings from some quarters about what, why fishing when you consider all the other trades, all the other industries in, in Scotland and the UK more widely that are, are going to have problems with Brexit. Uh, why fishing has been such a so front and centre to the debate. Is that something that you have concerns about or that you've noticed? Mm. Well, I, mean, I would agree with Liam that it is a hugely important issue and someone representing the central belt, I live in Hamilton, I'll confess to not even, I don't eat fish, uh, being a vegetarian, but I recognise it's hugely important for the national interest and also for the communities that Liam and other MSPs represent, and some of these fishing communities are are very fragile. Um, I think with a lot of things about Brexit, most things, the the deal that Theresa May has put on the table isn't going to deliver. Um, for fishing communities um, and the promise that was made is if we're leaving, if the UK is leaving the EU, then we're also leaving the common fisheries um, policy. So but that's what the withdrawal agreement gives, Monica. Well, and that's so, what the Sea Fishermen's Federation are absolutely clear on. This is well, everyone today said they were clear. You know, Jackson Carlow was clear, Nicola Sturgeon was clear. People traded different quotes, but there's obviously huge issues around quotas and access. Now we're pretending to fully understand them. Um, but from a Scottish Labour point of view, if, if we are leaving the European Union, 
then you know we see a case for there having to be annual negotiations around quota and access so that we can gradually grow Scotland's share and other countries' shares. Would, would one reduce. of the issues that's been Liam, one of the issues that's been there's concerns about is that if the implementation period is extended beyond December twenty twenty, whether mm-hmm. that whether the common fisheries policy would be extended beyond that as well. It's it's the Scottish Tory MPs position that if the implementation period is extended, the the CFP has to stop. Is that correct? We are absolutely clear. We are coming out of the common fisheries policy. Uh, And that reassurance has been given countless times uh, in the Commons. So orally, David Ducat, uh, MP, uh, for the the, the north-east of Scotland, top bit, if you like, Fraserburgh, Peterhead, places like that, sought that reassurance. The Prime Minister gave it unequivocally. They've then written to the government saying, can you give us this in writing? The Prime Minister has unequivocally given that guarantee, and in pretty robust terms, I have to say. Uh, So we're reassured. The Scottish Fishermen's Federation uh, are reassured. Uh, In fact, the only person uh, who seems to seek to make political capital on this, uh, as Monica rightly points out, is Nicola Sturgeon in the chamber, who I'm afraid is a victim of her own triangulation on this, because, of course, they'd have us go straight back into it. I was yeah, Nicola Sturgeon is facing several ways on, on Brexit, um, mm. including on this issue. But yeah. I think for the wider public, people who don't fully understand the issues facing the fishing community will be kind of tuning out of, of this debate, um, which is, is unfortunate. Uh, well, just one thing that I was thinking yesterday when Philip Hammond was talking, uh, the, the UK Treasury published their uh, analysis of the various Brexit scenarios and what it would mean for the economy. And one thing that Philip Hammond said admitted quite candidly actually was that any of the options the economy is going to be in a worse position than staying inside the European Union now Theresa May yesterday made the point that that doesn't mean that the economy will be worse than it is now just that it would grow slower than it would otherwise and when Philip Hammond was asked about this he said that it is true that the economy will be worse but there are other benefits and the benefits that he mentioned generally are the common fisheries policy, the common agricultural policy, being outside the jurisdiction of the European courts and being able to strike free trade deals with, with other countries. And you kind of then have to ask the question of whether those trade-offs are, are worth it. Liam, how, how did you vote in, in 2016? Uh, in the Brexit referendum, I voted to remain. You voted to remain. Do you think that coming out of the common fisheries policy is worth all the aggravation and the agony that there's going to be elsewhere? Uh, I wouldn't analyse it in quite the same way. Uh, There was a vote, there was a referendum, and the people of the UK came to a decision. And I think what's very important, and what uh, I have to say too many Scottish government SNP voices uh, are refusing to to accept, is that that was a UK-wide vote, and we need to honour that vote. Uh, Whether we voted Remain or whether we voted Leave, it was a UK-wide vote. It didn't go the way of Remain, so we must honour it. We must implement it to the best way possible. Monica, what would you like to see happen next? What, what's Labour hoping for as we get towards the meaningful vote in the Commons on December 11th? Well, all along we've said that any Brexit deal has to put jobs first. It has to um, deliver for the economy, and you know we've had years of, of austerity under the Conservative government in the UK since 2010, and we've seen austerity pushed into local communities further in, in Scotland. So I think when... But you can see the budget's going up in Scotland. Well, the point I'm trying to make is that already the economy's not working 
for the majority of people. Um, employment goes up, but a lot of that employment is, is zero contracts, people in precarious work. So this is really scary stuff for the people that, that I represent in Lanarkshire and across Falkirk. So that's why we will not be supporting um, the deal that Theresa May is bringing to the Commons. Um, we've got, who knows how things are going to end up, but I think the test that the Labour Party has put down with Keir uh, Starmer driving that has made clear that we want to protect jobs, we want to protect our industries, and we can't compromise on, on workers' rights and environmental standards. But don't you risk no deal uh, as a result, which um, and certainly one analysis yesterday would be uh, worse. Well, we don't want to get to a point of a, of a no-deal situation. That's why you know we're ongoing with our ideas and our proposals. But you know we can't go back in time. I, I wish we hadn't had a referendum in 2016 because the public didn't want it. And we know the background it was to appease people on the, the Tory backbenches. But like Liam Kerr, I, I'm a Democrat. I'm not satisfied with the result. I don't like it at the moment. I don't think it's as simple as saying we just want to overturn it. But the Labour Party's position is if... If we can't get an agreement in the Commons, we need to have a general election. The public need to have a full say. And if that isn't going to happen, I'm still hopeful that it will, then that's when we need to look at a people's vote. Because the issues that we're discussing today, which you and I, Liam, are not even qualified to speak about, are so, so serious for the future of, of our children and their children. So you, you you're relaxed about the... I'll ask the questions, Liam, if you don't mind. Uh, you're relaxed about the second... EU referendum then if there's no general election. Labour's policy seems to be firming up behind that. The process will be Labour will vote against the deal on December 11th, try and get a general election. Yeah, if that's not forthcoming, they'll end, they're then open to a second referendum. Yeah, we're a UK-wide party. We had a party conference. That was our position. We didn't take anything off the table because you know we realise this is complex and no one has all of the answers. We strongly want a general election because I don't think... The Tory party has confidence in Theresa May. The country certainly doesn't. Um, a Tory government is not delivering for Scotland. We need a general election because, you know, as we see with Brexit, the Tories' uh, governance of the country has been disastrous. Isn't the second referendum a cleaner way to fix it, though? A general election could just return something very similar to what we have now. It's not clear to me that there's any parliamentary way through. That it, it, it seems like a call for a general election is more about Labour Party interest than national interest. Well, I believe a Labour government is in the national interest and I also feel that when you look at Brexit, it's it's a binary choice in a referendum, but there's so many other factors that people need to look at alongside Brexit. And I fully respect that there are plenty of people in the country who voted for Brexit, including, I think, one million uh, people here in Scotland. But people might have different ideas around what they thought they were voting for and I think we have to look at, at the big picture so I don't think a general election is just about saying well we're looking after Labour it's much deeper than that we have been very very clear that we need to transform the whole economy and you know we've always been clear that we have to reform the EU we don't want to we didn't want to leave it we wanted to reform it and make it better for people um, but yeah it's not about cheap political points. Let, let me ask you Liam what how do you see and I, I Perfectly accepted. This is a difficult question for anyone, but how do you foresee Theresa May getting this deal through the Commons? We know the DUP are going to vote against it come what may. We know the SNP are going to vote against it come what may. There may be some Labour rebels, but the the majority of the Labour Party is going to vote against it as well. It looks like a lot of the Tories backbenchers are against it too. So just just how does she how does she pull this off in the next 
whatever, what is it, 12 days or something? Sure. I think it's, um, it is a difficult question because I think the, the MPs need to consider very carefully uh, what they are voting on and how they are going to vote. I, mean, I listened to Monica, I understand why, why she puts this position, but you know, another general election, uh, in order to do what? To put a Labour government in, presumably, would be the wish list, but what could Labour do differently? I mean, Monica talks about we should seek to reform the EU. We tried that. Uh, it didn't work. It, it can't be done. This withdrawal deal uh, we've heard so, I mean, is... So do you think the 2016 referendum was necessary then? Do you think uh, Eric Cameron was right to take the country into that, well, into I, that vote? I think that's a, that's a very different question because I think uh, we sought to reform the EU... That didn't happen. There was a referendum which went the way of leave. And I think the difficulty for the people saying, well, look, we can vote this down and go back and renegotiate something better, whether that be uh, the current government, whether that be uh, a new government, uh, I have to say haven't really thought this through. The EU have been absolutely clear. They are not going to renegotiate this. Uh, and so my concern uh, is that... Um, or uh, perhaps not concerned, but I, I think what is likely to happen if uh, the SNP, for example, resolutely say, look, we're going to go in and we are going to vote against the withdrawal agreement, whatever happens, which seems to be their position. And indeed, I put that to Michael Russell yesterday. Uh, look, actually, you are facilitating a no deal, um, having only said last week that you think the withdrawal agreement uh, is better than no deal, yet you're going to facilitate no deal. That just doesn't make sense. And I think the SNP's position on this uh, is frankly untenable. The, the, just because Theresa May was in Scotland yesterday, and I'm just, I'm just, I was, tr I was, I went to the press conference yesterday. She, she toured a leather manufacturer in Bridge Weir in Renfrewshire, uh, and as I've mentioned, there was problems with the press. There was a, there was a ten-minute press conference where she answered seven questions, um, and. I just, I don't really know what what it was about. It seemed it seemed like a pointless exercise almost for everyone because because she came she came to Scotland. She was here for about three hours. Uh, she she answered seven questions, talked to a few people in a leather manufacturer, and it didn't it didn't seem to really explain the deal any better, give any of the Scottish dimension or help her in the Commons because this, I guess the only audience she's trying to convince at the minute is MPs. Um, how can that be done, Liam? Uh, how how can she convince yeah. the MPs? Uh, and just and just what is the strategy at the minute? I'm 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 a bit of, a bit at a loss. What the 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 wider Tory strategy is for for with Theresa May and this the tour of the UK. We've seen this leaked grid, which is talking about security today, apparently. But it, it seems it seems to me that the the best line of argument is the one that you made earlier about that. Well, it's this or no deal, and we know that no deal is going to be a disaster. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you'd have to put the question to to her and or uh, her MPs, uh, obviously. I, I, dis, despite what uh, the SNP would have you believe, I don't have a direct line uh, to the Westminster government. Um, the, I suspect the strategy here, uh, and strategy is probably too strong a word, Theresa May has spent uh, a large amount of time trying to get the best deal for the country to allow the country to move forward. Uh, and I think it is important that there's an awful lot that seems to go on within the bubble of Westminster, within the bubble of Holyrood. Uh, 
And I wonder if, uh, in answer to your question, what is Theresa May trying to achieve by coming out to the country? She's coming out to talk to the people. Uh, these are the people who will be. But she didn't do a great deal of that. Was the point I was making really? Uh, well, I can't she speak to that. She wasn't here very long. Uh, there isn't very long we'll to go. We had a busy day in Parliament yeah. yesterday. The time I checked Twitter, she was already away. Well, so. she had in her, def- in her defense. So I'll, I'll defend her now, given as I was critical earlier. She did have Prime Minister's questions yesterday as well, and she has had a lot of stuff going on. And what I would say about her yesterday is she's as, she was as relaxed as I've seen her. She certainly, I certainly felt that she was credible in her belief that this is the best deal possible and this is well, the right course for the country. I have whether, to say, whether, she's, whether she's right in that analysis is another question, but I'm, I'm certain that she thinks it's right. I have to say, Davy, I think the um, strength and, and fortitude of the Prime Minister is, is shining through here. I mean, I, 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 despite what I've just said, I was down there um, last week. I don't have a direct line to Westminster, <laughs> but when I was having but, drinks in 10 Downing Street last week... Right. But she, uh, you know, she, she came out and, and spoke and uh, we all remarked how incredibly um, strong she seems and how confident uh, and, and, as you say, how relaxed. I mean, it, uh, it defies belief in my view. I, I'm not convinced I could put myself through uh, what this one uh, woman's been through over the last few years, and uh, I have only admiration, frankly. Well, we'll see how she does in the run-up to December 11th when that vote is going to take place, and all the developments will be in the daily record. Uh, we'll move on at this stage, uh, and we'll talk about another about an issue that actually would probably have got a lot more coverage in the papers and on television yesterday if it wasn't for the fact that so much is being sucked up by Brexit at the minute, which is that the Scottish Government finally published its... Uh, new alcohol and drugs strategies. It's an issue that's been uh, quite high on the agenda in Holyrood, especially after figures earlier this year showed that drug deaths were at a record high with 934 deaths in Scotland in 2017, which is double, more than double in fact the number from 10 years previously. So I guess the question is then, all the parties as far as I can tell uh, seem to agree that this is uh, a crisis that needs fixing. The, the question is, how do you fix it? I'll start with you, Monica, as you cover health for your party. Yeah, I spoke in the debate uh, yesterday and, and we had an amendment down which went into quite a lot of detail, actually. So during the lifetime of the last government strategy on drugs and alcohol, 15,000 people in Scotland died. And that was 10 years, that strategy? Yeah, that's that, a, that was a 10-year period. And when I was speaking yesterday, I put that into some context. That's like the, the equivalent of... The population of Larkhall, one of the towns that, that I represent, and I spoke about this around about this time last year as well in, in a members' debate. So, I've got no doubt that people right across the parliament care very, very deeply, whether it's through family experience, people that we know, people we went to school with, their own constituents. We know that it's deeply heartbreaking, um, not just when people sadly lose their lives, but the turmoil that that people have if they're living with addiction and the stigma that, that families face. So the government produced a strategy, um, a joint drugs and alcohol strategy, and it was called All Together Now. And it wasn't a very good strategy. And everyone from Scottish Drugs Forum, Alcohol Focus Scotland, SHAP, Scottish Families Affected by Drugs and Alcohol, none of the organisations in in that sector were, were satisfied. And there hadn't really been meaningful consultation. To be fair to Joe Fitzpatrick, who's now the, the new Minister for Public Health, he's realised, wait a minute, this doesn't have 
the, the buy-in and the confidence of, of people and myself and John Finney who's Green MSP we co-convened the, the Parliament's cross-party group on, on, on drugs and alcohol misuse so the Tories uh, tabled a, a debate in, in their own time that, that we had that yesterday and that probably forced the government to get the strategy out that was published yesterday I have to say there's there's some good stuff in there um, it will remain to be seen we would have preferred for the government... So, so what, to, what, what do you like about it? What specific proposals do you like? So what I do um, commend is the fact that it's taken a, a rights-based approach. It's framing addiction as a public health issue. Rather than it's a criminal justice Yeah, issue. it's recognising that it's an illness and it has to be treated as a public health measure. And actually what it needs, it needs all parts of government, all parts of councils, the public sector working together because the answers lie as much in, in good housing, fair work, um, strong supported families, good education. Um, that's why if I can come on to the, the Tory strategy which, which was published which only focuses on drugs and that came out the day before the debate. Uh, again some welcome progress from the Tories but there's still this idea that, that people can just be given a shake to get out of, of addiction. So some of the language around um, you know, alternatives to, to um, serving jail time, people would be offered support. Um, and if they don't take that, then next time they might end up in jail. And, and again, that, that kind of almost like punishing people for failing, it's very, very hard for someone to be completely drugs-free or alcohol-free. So, to be fair to Liam, who's sitting here, who did speak in the debate, yeah. some of the commentary in the chamber was better than some of the social media coverage that was coming out from Tory press office. Um, but uh, it's a very, very sensitive topic. I'll move on, I'll move on to Liam now. What, sure. what, what, can you give me some concrete proposals <coughs> that you think are not being done that could help here and should be being done and can be done easily? Yeah, I, I mean, I have to say, I... I broadly agree with Monica's assessment of the debate yesterday, incidentally. I thought there were some very good, very powerful speeches. Um, Monica obviously made a good speech, but particularly I enjoyed listening to Neil Finlay, uh, who speaks powerfully in this area, Jenny Mara, of course, um, and obviously people on my, my own side. Um, Are you sure? But, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even myself, Monica. That was your opportunity, mate. Um, you are one to watch, Liam. You're a rising star. Apparently not. Um, next year, next year. Look, I think the uh, the we did we we put our strategy down uh, and called for the debate, and I do think that we we managed to to jolt the Scottish government into actually putting their policy or their, their strategy down. Um, I think if I could describe the Scottish government strategy, I think it's dangerously complacent. I think that's the. Uh, phrase I would use because it, it doesn't include reviews of drug-related deaths, it doesn't mention reviewing the methadone programme and and this point was made by uh, one of the experts in it, uh, chap David Liddell I think, um, who said there are no, yeah. right, I think he said there, there are no targets in this. Mm-hmm. Um, so whereas ours would, uh, the Scottish Conservative one, would, would cover these areas. Uh, so the Scottish Conservatives is very clear. Look, we need to say that, as Monica rightly says, that there are huge problems out here. So we need to halve the number of drug deaths in five years. Um, we need to increase the number of problem drug users access and treatment uh, to the UK average of only 60%, but that would be up from 40%. Because 
we are facing, as, as I think Monica might have said, but would certainly acknowledge, this is a crisis. Um, I, I think this stat was there are more than a thousand people going to die from addiction. Uh, is it this year? Well, that, that's drug related deaths. Sure, that's sure. What, that's what's expected. Yeah, they're, over they're expecting 1, it. It was it was nine hundred and thirty four last year, and they're expecting it to be over a thousand yeah. to twenty eighteen. Right. And of course, bigger. last year, I mean, alcohol related deaths were over twelve hundred. So. Um, the, the, the government strategy covers alcohol and drugs. The Tory strategy for now covers drugs only, but mm-hmm. there are big overlaps. That's, that's if I, if I can just jump in here, because we are we are short of time, we're going to talk about Labour's First Minister's question today. I think I'll actually just finish on drugs, because Liam has a appointment to give a school group a tour of the Parliament, and we don't want him to miss that, because I don't want to upset school children <laughs> and to be to blame for that. So uh, we'll do, uh, there's, I think rather than going on to Labour's FMQ, what we'll do is we'll just finish on the drug stuff, because there's two points that I'd like uh, quick thoughts from both of you on. One on is the proposal on consumption areas, uh, which the SNP are behind, and there's been a proposal in Glasgow, which I understand has been blocked by the UK government. Uh, and and this, this, the second one... Uh, is on methadone, what we do about the methadone system, which is an issue the record's been talking about for years and that it does seem that people are left parked on methadone for longer than is perhaps wise. Uh, I'll start with you, Monica, on the, first of all on consumption rooms and then on methadone. So we agree um, that safe consumption rooms have a, a role. So we supported the Scottish Government's amendment yesterday in doing so because of the parliamentary rules. It knocked out our own amendment. So all of our good ideas we then couldn't vote on. So on that, straightforward, it's evidence-based. We support the government's approach on that. And I think the Tory line on it, quite disappointing. Again, the, the issue of methadone is a topic where there's a lot of stigma around it and even the language that, that you've used David about people being parked on methadone there are people who uh, are recovering from drugs they are prescribed methadone they're still able to work and, and lead a, you know a, a normal life um, but for other people that there are issues and mm-hmm. people are not given a full range of options so that there are huge issues there but I, I just think we all need to be careful around some of the language because well, there, there is well, evidence with respect I, yeah. I, t- I take your point on that but I mean that that isn't that isn't a policy position to say we need to be careful with language. It needs something more than that. Well, actually, no. The, the point on language, I mean that again, this is something that I raised in a debate last mm. year, and the points were well made by Joe Fitzpatrick and also Tom Arthur on the SNP benches yesterday. Because one of the biggest barriers that people face in being able to seek help for a drug and alcohol mm. addiction. Uh, or for families to seek support is because it's highly stigmatised. Now, yesterday, politicians seemed quite convenient. It seemed to me that people were more comfortable talking about drugs because that's what happens to other people. We didn't talk about alcohol quite so much because most of us are drinkers. Now, everyone knows I've talked about in Parliament before, I I lost my dad to to alcoholism three years ago. So actually, the, the role of the media is really important because the Tory strategy that was published two days ago, all of the images on the newspaper and the news sites and the Tory party, all of the images that went alongside that, the visuals were about drugs paraphernalia, needles, um, stuff on spoons and people in dark rooms injecting. And again, that's very stigmatising. So it's not a huge policy point, perhaps, but I think mm. it's a very important one. And I think Joe Fitzpatrick yesterday made some really good points on that. And I'm glad that the numerous letters that I've been sending him, he has taken account of and I think these are all part, it's all part of the solution. 
Liam, quickly, uh, if you would. Uh, okay, very quickly. The um, Tories are against the consumption idea, which seems to have support widely here. Otherwise, so I was just, I was just wanted to get your take on that. Uh, yes, we are against it. Um, three, three points to make. Firstly, on the alcohol point, I, I actually strongly agree with Monica, but I think, it, uh, and I'm sure she would agree with this. It's a, it's a bigger issue. I think we need to give this uh, alcohol and Scotland's relationship with alcohol uh, a lot of work and a lot of thought because I, I do agree it's a, it's a massive issue. On the methadone, um, Monica made a point about uh, some people kind of functioning on methadone and so we, we shouldn't take a kind of one-size-fits-all approach and I think there's merit in that, um, which is why our policy said, look, we do need to review the methadone programme and understand what's going on out there uh, and understand how we can make it better with a view, and this leads on to the safe consumption areas, uh, to not, um, I'm trying not to use the word parking now, but uh, trying not to put people uh, in a box and say that's how you are. And I think well, that's the, one of the, the key cons- issues. The concern is that the, the authorities feel that a, a way to deal with, with drug addiction can be just to give people methadone and then you can forget about them. Which, which is a problem. Which, which, which is not an attempt. It's not an attempt to stigmatise. That's just a concern that these people are being neglected. I mm. think the problem is that there's not then the follow up services. Yeah. So we need that person centred approach where services continue to engage with someone and look at what what suits them. And again, because of the cuts to alcohol drug partnerships, which we've all talked about, and actually where money's been put back into those, there's so many structures now in terms of community partnerships, into the joint boards, alcohol drug partnerships. There's just this myriad of of governance and actually is the money getting to communities and the the most vulnerable people. Well, I would actually concede that point, um, but that leads me on to the safe consumption areas because, uh, of course, one of the things about it, we're very clear in our strategy that we shouldn't forget about people. You can't just say to people, well, we've had these terrible figures for the last 10 years. Um, The previous SNP's strategy has failed. uh, So let's just facilitate people uh, going on to drugs. So that would be, uh, I accept Monica won't agree with that position, but I think we don't think that, we think there's a risk that if you create safe consumption areas, you, you're effectively giving up on people and saying that is your status, uh, that's where you're going to go. But isn't it about and, harm reduction, William? Well, it, it does have to be about harm reduction, that's right. And so you've also got to look, it, it's spinning off the top of my head, I think, and you may be able to help me with this, I think there are about 13,500 problem drug users in Glasgow. Um, and a safe consumption room, I think, would only be able to cater for about 500. So I think we'd need to look at, you know, what actually are we trying to achieve here? And are there better interventions that can be done to help people? Okay, I think we'll have to leave it there. I'm afraid that was a really interesting discussion. I wish we didn't have to talk about Brexit for so long. We could have talked about that for a bit longer. Uh, I would like to thank Monica Lennon and Liam Kerr for joining me this week, and we'll be back next week. Cheers. <laughs>